condition, my condition was in. I woke up this morning with the sundown shining in. Him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I told my mind. On a jagged sky. Okay, you know, you guys are... Well, welcome back, well, welcome back Stacks and Jacks. As soon as Andrew turns my mic on. There we go, you got there it. You go. <laughs> there you go. Go ahead, but I'm not turning your mic on. What kind of deal is that? All right. <laughs> welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell. Andrew on the board. SP Figures up 13. NASA Figures up 50. We're trying to uh, do a little better today. We started the week at uh, last Friday. We were 406 in the uh, S&P, or the Spider, and now we're 397 after some down days, and then we had an up day yesterday. Uh, we fi- finally, I mean, it was kind of a little bit of a relief rally, and now we're up a little bit today. We'll see uh, if we continue up. we got the PPI number coming out at uh, at um, 730. I'm not exactly sure. Well, somebody in the bowels of government probably could tell me why some months the CPI is before the PPI and some months it's not. So, I mean, there's got to be a, a formula there that's uh, buried someplace. Do we have Mr. Uh, Kevin? You have me. Do we have Mr. Murphy somewhere? Not Still yet. With me? We got you. Uh, I think we need to uh, have you call Mr. Murphy. He just texted me, Andrew. All right. Um, so, Kevin, uh, how are you? Uh, I'm doing all right. Sounds just like you're driving, in the- driving down, uh, what is this, County Road 5 in Indiana. Um. Careful with that, you know. You'll probably get run into some Indiana people, you know. How south? How far south are you? Oh, I'm north. I, I just I just crossed into Indiana. All right. I, I'm I'm going, and and everything in Elkhart County is County Road. I, I suppose this could also be called Edwardsburg Highway, but um, uh, but it's uh, um, I, I'm I'm headed to the uh, transportation breakfast. Uh, for the with the Chamber of Commerce, so it'll be interesting to hear what everybody has to say, um, you know, about what they're seeing for economic trends right now, and how that's affecting transportation businesses, which is kind of kind of an interesting thought. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, what is the speaking of transportation? When is the uh, the, the the South Shore going to be complete? To South back to South Bend. It's not even you can't even get all the way to South Bend, can you? Um, you, well, you can, but they they have you get off in Gary, I believe, and get on a bus, and then the bus takes you over to Michigan City, and then you get back on the train there. Um, or, you know, from from my point of view, if if I if I were going to uh, take the South Shore into um, Chicago, I would just drive to the uh, airport in Gary and park there. It's like seven bucks a day to park anyway, and. Um, and then you could shoot downtown. When is this going to be over? What are they doing exactly? They're uh, um, they're replacing tracks. Um, okay, okay then. The uh, and and I think there's I, I think there are also some sections of those where there's just one track. So if if the plan, if the trains get a little off schedule, then one has to wait for the other one to pass. Yeah, I think it goes. So they're uh, putting down. They're, 
So, so they're putting down, you know, a full two tracks, one each direction. Well, it's still going to be going down Main Street in the uh, Michigan City, right? They're not changing that. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know that that's true or not. I, I you know, I, I, I haven't ridden it in so long. I, I wouldn't know. Well, for those that don't know, there's one I, track I that runs. I, I, I think the last time I wrote it was with our buddy Bob Golden when we went into uh, um, the uh, Notre Dame Miami game in Soldier Field. Wow. Well, there, there's there's one track down the middle of the street in, in Michigan City, which is interesting. Anyway, the the Chicago South Shore and South Bend Radio, Ra- Railroad is the only uh, left intra-urban passenger railroad in the country. There used to be all kinds of. Them. I don't know if you knew that, Kevin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise it's Amtrak, and and you can do Amtrak from South Bend. You can do Amtrak from Niles, Michigan. You can do Amtrak Amtrak from St. Joseph or Elkhart uh, into Union Station. Um, so that that's an option too. Um, but the uh, the South Shore is kind of a a handy little thing to have there. Uh, Although, back in the day, it was known it was known as the Vomit Comet. Um, yes. It had fallen into such such disrepair. That you know the, the tracks you you kind of bounce up and down on the tracks. You know you hit these spots where the the tracks are a little misaligned, and the uh, the the train would hit the uh, hit the ground <laughs> um, before getting back on the tracks. And it, if you know the, it, that, that was in our student days, if you were trying to like read um, when you as you rode, you would bounce around so much that you couldn't hold a book steady enough to read it. Let's just say there were white caps in the water cooler. Yeah, how about that? That's a good way to put it. Yeah, because they, uh, but they ended up getting uh, uh, a lot of new rails, and they ended up getting new cars, and uh, it's you know it's, I, I I honestly think well you know it's actually being extended down to like St. Joe or someplace, because where where Frank just moved, it's what, going, it's, 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 it's it's no it's it's going south and toward like Dyer and those places. Oh, okay. There's a new, because, there's a new yeah, spur. Because I, I, I can't imagine it, I, because I think it's in Indiana. Uh, well, I suppose they could go into Michigan, too. The, a lot of people, when I lived in St. Joseph years ago, a lot of people would just drive down to, um, oh, it, it just across the border. I can't remember the name of the road now. I'm sure you'd know it from the time you spent up in that, uh, uh, that direction, but... Uh, it, it was a quick shot down past New Buffalo. Yeah, um, to, yeah, right there. Uh, uh, yeah, and and jump on the train and go into Chicago. So a lot of people would take that to go, you know, do day trips into Chicago. Well, the uh, I, I plus it's electric, which is terrific, except for the fact that it's in a snow belt. But electric is really the way to go. I I would like to see virtually all these commuter lines electrified. But then again, nobody's nobody's axing me, and all these new. These new cars are all pretty much designed. Actually, the <laughs> this is a good one, Kevin. Talk about uh, when we built we Pullman when we built the uh, push pull single level commuter cars, not gallery cars mm-hmm. like we have. You know, now these cars you see here, like the Rock Island and so forth, they're not they're not double decker. They're called gallery cars. Now I'm, I'm sure you know the reason for that is that the you it's actually not double. Le- in, inside the car, there's like balconies where people can go up on the sides and sit. But in the middle, it's open because if you had somebody my height walk down the middle, if you actually put a, a ceiling there, it wouldn't be high enough. So the Amtrak cars, which are actually double-decker, are probably a solid foot and a half at least taller than a gallery car. But anyway, 
Well, we built these for Boston. They were single-level cars because there actually were some tunnels out there. And uh, they um, they said we were probably going to electrify, so we, we actually put the trucks, which is the wheel and axle, all that whole combination on the bottom. You see that big, huge thing? It's all uh, cast iron and whatever. It's, well, it's forged. But, it's, but that whole thing is called the truck. And you'll see that actually when you're building the truck. Uh, the cars, those are just sitting there. They're pretty fascinating. The brakes are on there. Everything's on there. Well, there, there were room. There was room there to hang two electrical motors with all the raceways. And the car itself was built with all the raceways to get to the roof. And the roof was supported. And all you had to do was screw up the thing up on top that collects the power. It's called a pantograph. And so it would have had plenty of stuff for that. But yesterday, Kevin, and I understand Mike is listening. Yesterday was a great day for for Stacks and Jacks because. Uh, a couple that has been listening to us since day one, because we ran in Arizona back then, uh, came into town. They came in last year and just had a quick time to say hello. But they came in, they took the Empire Builder in from, uh, see, I actually took, they flew to L.A., if they're from Arizona. They flew to L.A., took the uh, coast, was it the Coast Starlight? Whatever it is, up to Seattle, and then took the Empire Builder in. And uh, <clears throat> they were here, and they came by uh, the day before, and, and uh, they're staying at the Palmer House where you were. They came by yesterday, and I didn't really have time to go to lunch, so we just talked for a while. I said, hey, we're, a group of us are meeting over at Ceres at 4.30. Why don't you guys stop by? And they did, and what a, what a fascinating night we had. Everybody, everybody got, we had a whole big group there for the people I know here. Everybody, uh, the dude is a retired, uh, well, he's an engineering professor, so you and he would have had, hit it off great. But before he was a professor, he worked on the uh, Alaskan Pipeline and uh, some power f- stations in Spain and all kinds of places. Talk about some good stories, wow. but uh, uh, just and they they uh, they they listen every night, and uh, his wife is terrific, and uh, and and she's she knows every person that's <laughs> on. I mean, uh, you're one of her favorites. So get a load of this. We're we're over at the series. Who, who does she curse? Is the question. No, she well she likes everybody, so it's unfair to say you know. So it was, I guess it's all right, all right, all right. Well, she met Greg, and she goes. Um, you're getting better. Keep at it. <laughs> so, but then Greg says, "Chief, you got to turn around." There were three Notre Dame recent graduate young ladies over this one table, all waving at us. Believe it or not, because I, I guess I'm older one and was at Notre Dame. God, Kevin, talk about the the, the most pleasant looking, <laughs> attractive young ladies. I'm like, wow, <laughs> where where were those when we were there? Type of thing. Uh, anyway, but it was a very nice night, and these people are terrific and. Uh, Heading back to Arizona today, and I'm really glad they stopped by. It makes you feel good that people actually listen and feel that uh, uh, they're, they're getting something out of the show, and they make everybody so honest that you uh, that it's so it's so different than regular news. And I guess that's what we strive to do. So, anyway, it was really cool. And uh, so there, so uh, we have uh, Mike talking a little bit about the soccer and so forth, and a little bit about how the military pr- uh, procures weapons and so forth, which is interesting because I've been trying to find. Uh, maybe some places to invest money for some of my people, but it's other than all the names I already know about, I can't seem to find even through Lou or Dan so far, Dan Janitas, can't seem to find that like mid-level. It's like there's a, there's the real big places, then there's the smaller. I won't call them mom and pa, but it's maybe so far that actually make like one kind of bullet or something. It's a pretty. It seems like it's a pretty fascinating industry. I've been trying to learn more about it. It's not something I ever really you know spent any time on, but. Uh, maybe from some of the people on the show, we can actually learn a little bit about it, and not only learn something but make a buck, which isn't the bad thing, is it? You know, just saying. 
It, it isn't. You know, and, and um, so Mike can talk about that a little bit. Uh, Lou may be able to speak to it as well. Let me see if I can line up somebody from uh, um, from my end. Uh, we we just actually launched a, um, and, and we're, we're running it out of Bloomington now, our Bloomington campus uh, only at this point, uh, although it will spread around the state. And it's a, a Department of Defense logistics uh, program. And so we use some of our existing uh, supply chain management courses, some of our IT stuff, the you know uh, on the analytics side um, that we do, um, but uh, it has three courses that are very specific to um, Department of Defense. One of them is a course in the federal budgeting process. One of them is a course uh, in I believe it's called RM&A, which is the inventory management process there. But the and the third one is the um, federal purchasing systems and procedures. So I could I might be able to track down the course developers for that, and uh, uh, because uh, they they um, you know they'll know this stuff inside and out too from the from the process standpoint, um, and that might be a, a kind of an interesting um, interesting show one day. Well, I uh, I try and interject you know what I hear from. Uh Every Sunday, brother has uh, has dinner. I, I try and uh, grill my nephew as best I can about what's going on in his industry. And their uh, <clears throat> metal suppliers or machine suppliers or parts suppliers, whatever you want to call it, to people that are in the manufacturing industry. And and they're one of the well, they were one of the survivors. And I don't know if their business was. And the, and the businesses are all the same. I know maybe three or four of these people, Kevin. And every every one of them. The, the attitude kind of was the same. All right, we, we've got our business. It's a family-owned place, or I own it, or something like that. And we got our we got our cut. We, we got we got our customers speaking south side. The uh, and we you know we get repair business once in a while. We get a new part. We have these machines that uh, you know that actually you can program them. And for one or two parts, they're terrific. They do all the the grinding, the drilling. I mean, it's 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 pretty incredible but of what they can do to just with just a piece of metal you put in there but it's also if you're going to make a hundred pieces of metal they're they're ridiculously slow that's not that's nothing you would ever do if you actually had an assembly line or for making individual parts and uh the and everybody has kind of this view of the business okay i'm i'm 55 i'm 60 it's be good enough till i retire but by the way all we've seen is things go down every year for the last 40 and people leave out of Chicago and so forth. Not that all your customers are here. Uh, and that's sort of the attitude. And it's not just the skill set, it's the attitude and, the, and the, the vision going forward that I believe is the problem. And I'll let, I'll let you opine on that in a second. But when I, where I'm going with this, if, like what Lou was talking about, some outfit that made, uh, I don't know, he was talking 55 or 62 caliber, caliber bullets, bullets, and I'll be like the... The, the black lady in Gone with the Wind. I know nothing about birth, birthing babies. I know nothing about bullets. So I have no idea how you make a bullet. But, but I'm assuming somewhere, when you assume, you know, make an ass out of you and everybody else, I'm assuming that there are specialized machines to do this. That, that these companies, these people, these Montpau or whoever it is, or factory, has had for, pick a number, 20 years. And if you say, hey, hey, Andrew, uh, I've been buying 2,000 bullets from you a month, I now need 10. Well, that machine, assuming it's been totally kept up to date, 
maybe if you work a little longer during the two shifts and weekends, you can double the number. But if you're going to go quadruple the number, you're going to need another machine and all the stuff that goes with it. Well, therein is what I'm, I'm trying to communicate to the listeners. Therein lies the problem. We don't have a whole lot of people willing to do that. Or, gee, if, if I got 10 of them a minute spitting off the end of the line versus one, I need three conveyor belts instead of one. That That is all becoming very long-term order. It's all becoming... It's it's probably getting better, Kevin, but that's... Therein, there's a million details to go in before coming out with a finished bullet. And my nephew was, tell, was telling me what they have at Tootsie Roll to come up with the machines it takes to come up with a Pop-Tart. Or what do you call those things? A Tootsie Roll Pop. Uh, it's unbelievable. You know, I mean, I think there's not, a, there's not a general appreciation of that from people that have never even been in a factory. I, you know, I think. But what do you think? Yeah, I, no, I, I'm with you. And, and in fact, you know, the, the summary statement I would make is factories are really interesting places. Oh, God, yes. And, and I think people think of, think of them as, uh, you know, as really... You know, dirty, dingy, uh, you know, uh, uh, workers can get kind of grimy. And there are certainly factories like that. But for the most part, they're clean, they're well lit. People who are really into, you know, a, a total quality management approach to it um, are, are very, very conscious of that. And they're very, very conscious of, you know, building really uh, efficient processes. And that's, you know, it's, it's a different world. Um, so, you know, you, you, you sort of think blue collar, but it, it's, it, you know, the, uh, the operations spawn some of the best executives that you'd ever imagine, um, and, and some of the best managers that you would imagine. So it's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, uh, I, I don't think people have as good appreciation or many people don't have a real good appreciation for what manufacturing is all about nowadays. Well, plus when, if you buy something as a, a retail person, whatever, whatever it happens to be, you know, be it a, you know, I don't care if it's a vacuum cleaner, I won't say a car because cars last pretty long now, but well, everything you buy, I mean, even, even, even clothes, I mean, you know, if, if you wear it 10 times, you go out and play touch football or whatever, which we don't do anymore, uh, and all of a sudden the thing is no good, you just, it's like the disposable, if, if you get somebody to make you a part it's supposed to work 24-7 for like 20 years. At the end of 15, if it breaks, you're pissed off. I mean, it's suppo- It's like a highway or a bridge. It's supposed to last. I mean, it, right? I mean, it, this, I, this is my, my business, my revenue is counting on you making me this part. You better not screw it up. And it better last for like a real long time, right? It's a whole different mindset. Uh, it, it, it better. Uh, the, the, actually, I, I've got a story. I was talking to a uh, fellow yesterday. In, in a local manufacturing company that does, they do, they, they have a wide range of products that, uh, from, from really simple metal, the outfit's called Thermodyne, uh, to, you know, control, you know, high tech controller boxes and things like that. And he was telling me, um, because they, they do some work with the government and, and that Boeing had sold them a bunch of jets, sold the government a bunch of jets and, it, two years into the contract, they had this uh, controller box that was overheating, um, and so they, you know, they went back to Boeing and uh, and, and said, uh, you know, this is unacceptable, and they kind of got the well. Here's what it'll cost you to get us to fix it. <laughs> so, God, uh, which is which is uh, just amazing. And so, so this guy said, you know, I'll do it for a lot less than that, and 
and, and so he got he got the contract. But you know, the, the, uh, there, there's a lot in there. Uh, it's it's just one of these really nimble small manufacturing companies. I, I wish you know. I know you're cu- Tom's coming over for basketball for the listeners' sake uh, on on Notre Dame and Marquette on Sunday. And if if we had time, if we had all day, I would I would just take you for a drive around Elkhart County because you know I, I drive down uh, you know like County Road Six on the way to work, and it's like there's one, there's one, there's three back there, there you know, and there's all of these small manufacturing companies that hire at most 200 people, but probably more like 30 or 40. Yeah. Uh, in, in most cases, and and they all have their specialties and. They all can just stop, kind of stop on a dime and, and do something, and, and they're they're very nimble, and it's pretty cool to see. Well, those machinery, those guys that, I mean, there 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 are people even with the old lathes and all the old machines. I mean, you could always, if you had a, a what they used to call them, a skunk works or something along those lines, or I mean, guys guys at Pullman, they they had you know five or six guys. You just send them out with the old machines, you show them a part, and within the day they'll bring you in a part. They'll machine the thing. They'll measure it and just make it. I mean, it's a that's that's not an it's not an efficient way to do hundred railroad cars, but they they'll, they they can make it. those guys can do anything pretty much. You know, those machines, and uh, it's a but you know that's those skills. But the thing of it is, not one of those guys probably sees if they're retiring, sees their kid doing that forty years from now. And the fact is, uh, as long as you keep up with the control pieces and the electronic pieces and, the, and all the uh, things like that, which the new machines will have less manual input but more control. And that's my nephew does. He, he knows how to program all the controls of these things. So he's always he's in demand because of that. I mean, I don't know if he could run a lathe himself. He probably could, but but he's a control guy and, uh, and, and you know, goes to the machinery shows and they, you know, buy some buy a machine or something. But it's, uh, you know, it, it really is fascinating. But now we're we're asking people when you talk about all these people getting laid off. There's there's jobs in in the uh, in this industry. So hey, what uh, real quick before break, uh, I'm talking about changing gears on you. What 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 are we doing with these bowl games, Kevin? I was reading last night that like everybody in, well, you know, I won't say half, but a, a lot of guys on the area. Anybody going to the NFL? Is anybody who, who's going to the NFL playing a bowl game if it's not the the the, uh, the final four? Pretty much no. <laughs> you know, I, I know uh, for Notre Dame, Michael Mayer is not going to play. Isaiah Foskey is not going to play. And you know what? I don't blame him. I, I, I don't blame him, especially after the Jalen Smith story. Uh, yeah. You know, he, J, uh, Smith is still knocking around the NFL, but he's never had the great career. He would have been, you know, probably a top five pick in the draft um, as, uh, before his injury. But he he had one of those. I didn't just I didn't just tear my ACL or something type of injuries. And it was really freakish. It was multiple stuff got hurt in a, you know got damaged in his knee. It it is you know there there aren't that many career threatening knee injuries anymore. But he had one. We well, had nerve. And, he had and nerve the fact damage. That he came back at all and has had a career is is amazing. We well, had nerve damage too, didn't he? I believe. Was What's that? that? Yeah, I think he had nerve damage too. Was that bad? Oh yeah, yeah. It had it was it was everything, and it was uh, so you know yes, it was a it was a really big deal. So uh, you know I don't know why you'd put that on the line. You you know you kind of served your time for your for your school and you did your thing and um and you go on. I I don't think the bowls. I, I don't think very many bowls are going to last the twelve team playoff. To tell you the truth. Well, right now it's 
everything, everything kind of kind of morphs, Kevin, as we say. Uh, the bowl games, to me now, for the if you're not in the top, well now if you're not the top four teams, they've sort of morphed into this. I get two more weeks of practice, and really it's for the people that are going to be playing next year, not the seniors. And I really don't care if these guys. It's it's almost like becoming like the spring game for next year for a lot of teams. Well, some teams don't have anybody going to the NFL, so everybody plays. But for a lot of teams, it's become this is the first team for first game for next year's team. Is that a, an unfair? Yeah, it's, it's actually it, it's extra practice. It is um, a, a lot a lot of with the eligibility rules the way they are now. If you don't play more than four games, it doesn't matter when you play them. So if you don't play more than four games, you're uh, uh, you don't lose a year of eligibility. So if they need to preserve eligibility on guys, all of a sudden you'll get these freshmen who haven't played all year who are going to get to play in the bowl game and not lose and still have four years of eligibility left. So you have that. Now, really, if you're if you're that good and you're a high NFL draft pick, you don't need five years. <laughs> you know, you're probably not yeah. going to use four. You're going to go after three. But uh, but a lot of the linemen and a lot of the guys who are going to be you know fifth-round draft picks, sixth-round draft picks, and so on, that extra year of eligibility can be a big deal for them developmentally. The other thing is that most of these bowl games exist to provide uh, uh, pro- cheap programming for ESPN. Oh, yeah. And, in fact, ESPN, ESPN is the producer for the bowl, not just the, the TV production, but the whole thing. Um, and... Uh, um, so it's you know all they're doing is filling in until it's time for uh, basketball conferences to start. Well, Kevin, well, let's go to let's go to break and on there. One, let's go to break and let's talk a little bit about okay, that. We'll after the break. we'll pick it up. Uh, SP Future is up eighteen. Nasdaq is up seven. We're trying to do two days in a row here. Be right back. Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The Control Freaks Guide to Life, Money, and Probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630 401 8810 or search us on the web at cognoshr.com. Cognos HR, 
Innovation and Human Resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now. Right here, right now, right now. Hello, everybody. It's Jacks. I'm Tom Howe. Andrew on the board. We have uh, Kevin O'Neill with us, and waiting in the wings is Mr. Mike Murphy to talk about some soccer and some other stuff. SP Futures up 21 now. We're, 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 we're moving up. Uh, NASDAQ Futures up 78. Uh, Futures up 76. Uh, a couple earnings last night. Costco came out, and they were down... I won't say heavy. They're down five or six bucks out of the gate, but now they're only down a buck forty-two. Lululemon, however, is down seven percent, down twenty-six bucks, but still three forty-eight, forty-eight, which isn't bad for uh, uh, whatever. I guess. Well, they had a lot of different lines of clothing, so I shouldn't just say sweatpants. But uh, evidently, they they missed a little bit, but they they're still pretty darn high. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX up forty-six point three percent. FTSE down six. Call that flat. Kick around up fourteen point two. So. Europe has been very muted this week. Not much trading going on over there at all. Yesterday we were up 183 in the Dow, 29 in the S&P, 123 in the Nasdaq. So it was a definitely a relief and a rally over earlier in the week. Asian Nikkei up 326, 1.2%. Shanghai up 9.3%. And again, this Hang Seng is just off to the races, up 450 now, 232. Again, if you'd have bought that at 14.5 like three weeks ago, it's almost pushing 20,000. It's a uh, China says repl- inflation data in line with expectations. All right, we're going to read some stuff in a minute here about China. Maybe it's not so hot. A uh, 10-year unchanged at 3.49. The bond unchanged. Oh no, it's up point, five basis points, 1.87. Japan actually pushing to 0.26. So I guess that's a change from the 0.25 it is every day. Uh, oil up 61 cents, 72.07. Rent up 30 cents, 76.45. So oil is still. We're, we're looking in some place in the country under three-dollar gas now. Natural gas down a penny, 594. Arbab, 205. Uh, gold up 1140, back up over 18 bu- 1800, 1812. Silver up 7 cents, 2331. Uh, copper unchanged at 387. We've got Bitcoin uh, back over 17,000, 17,248. And we have the U.S. dollar uh, virtually unchanged against the euro at 105, well, almost 106. The pound is actually up, so it's down compared to the pound. Pound's almost pushing 123 from the 104.5 low of, I'm going to say, six weeks ago. It's a big move up. Uh, what do you got for us? Traffic weather sports, Mr. Andrew? All right. It is 636 here in Chicago on Friday, December 9th. Uh, starting with sports over in the NBA, tonight the Suns play the Pelicans at 730. 
Moving over to NFL, uh, last night the Rams beat the Raiders, ending their game 17-16. And finally for the NHL, uh, tonight we can look forward to the Blackhawks playing the Jets at 7.30 Chicago time, and the Bruins playing the Coyotes at 8.30 Chicago time. Now no, over to weather. Nobody's looking forward to the Hawks playing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, with Chicago weather, it is currently rainy throughout the day. Uh, Going to have showers and clouds basically all throughout. Uh, we're currently at 36 degrees, and we're only going to have a high of 38, so not much better. Uh, but over in Phoenix, it's just cloudy over at 45 degrees, and they're going to have a high of 66. And now finally for Chicago traffic, uh, the northbound Stevenson, uh, uh, the exit ramp to the inbound Dan Ryan, uh, there's some slow traffic on it, and it's causing delays on the Stevenson around it. Uh, but other than that, there's thankfully no major uh, accidents to report on the expressways. Um, however, traffic is building, as it always does around the expressways, particularly on the Jane Adams today. That's all I got. Back to you, Chief. A um, couple things, Kevin, before we get to the, the ESPN stuff. This uh, Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema is leaving the Democratic Party to become independent. Why do I have such a horrendous taste in my mouth with this lady? Just um, I don't know. Uh, I, well, I, actually, I do know. It is uh, um, you're, you're still um, hung up on the um, what was the vote? You know, where she voted to carve out for uh, a company in in her district. No, she voted for the uh, the, the the carry tax, so the carry the carry carried interest. They call it, which isn't really interest at all. So yeah, that was it. It's yeah, for it's for hedge. It. It's a okay. it's a carve out for hedge. Aside from fund. that, uh, aside from that, um, cinema has always been a little bit of a, um, uh, you know, she she's always gone her own way at times. Anyway, so um, you know, it's we'll see. You know, we'll see how, what what this means for anybody. Um, she she's also been sort of ostracized by her party. Um, in in many ways, so uh, you know, much like Tulsi Gabbard, it's you know, at some point you say, "Well, bleep you all, and uh, I'll go my own way." So we'll see what that ma- what that means. I you know, I don't know that it's going to mean very much. It means to me, for a million and a half bucks uh, or whatever they gave her, she's willing to, to put in bad legislation for the people that paid her off, and that that just frosts. Well, me. I, I understand. Yeah, I I understand that. I understand your concern about that. I'm just talking about it from a political standpoint. Um, and and a party politics standpoint. So, um, you know, there you go. Well, you know, we so I, a couple of things I want to get but before we get to soccer. I, I want to finish off the thought on the bowl games because uh, what what they have always served is to be a bridge between the end of the college, the regular college football season and um, and the start of conference basketball games. Well, it, it, two things. One is the, the twelve team playoff is coming. They're going to be able to space those games out so that you can get, like, one every night, and that's going to substitute some of that bowl viewing that they just, you know, they'll, they'll not need it at that point. Part two of it is that the conferences in basketball are now starting to play more games, and, you know, we've already seen a lot of conference games played in, in, in every major conference. So they're starting to get more... Um, more quality programming from the basketball side, and I think that's just going to squash all of these little bowls. I, I, you know, I think they're just going to go away. Um, nobody goes anyway. 
it's it's just there as TV. They go low. They go cheap on the production. Usually, they don't. They have the announcers work out of the studio. You know, uh, um, uh, in Connecticut, not you know, not at home or not uh, not well, at the you, game site. You force the schools to buy the tickets. It's just there to fill. It's just it's filling airtime. Well, I, I remember reading. Uh, God, a long time ago, when we first started shows, and John and I were on the score for God's sake. Uh, the you look at the ma- the math on this, and it, of course, first time you look at it, you just get stunned because <laughs> uh, all all the uh, at the time Notre Dame or somebody was getting paid somebody was getting paid three hundred thousand bucks to to do like a night game or something, and uh, I'm sitting there going, "Wow, <laughs> that's, that's like a lot of dough." And then all of a sudden, I read this article where somebody you know must have realized this guy Chief is a numbskull, and this article had to do with why. ESPN or whoever that was at the time, Channel 5. It might have been Channel 5 or something. And uh, why they would do something like that, this incredible amount of money. Well, they went through uh, how much it cost to do a regular hour show. Actually, was, was Moonlighting even an hour or was it a half hour? But there's people like an NCIS show. There's, these, some of these guys are getting a half million dollars an episode. Uh, yeah. And so it actually costs you maybe, I'm going to say, you know, two million bucks for lack of a better term. Or a million and a half bucks to do an episode of like NCIS or or, or Blue Bloods or something like that. Uh, you know, maybe it's a million, whatever it is, and it's one hour. So to give Notre Dame and the other school three hundred grand for four hours is an is an absolute. It, it's a gimme, <laughs> right? For for because you're going to get almost the same, if not better, ratings if it's on you know if it's a real game, and it's not even close to, to the to per hour production of, of like four shows in a row. Yeah, it's it's cheap programming. It's it's really cheap programming, all things considered. So uh, yeah, so that matters. All right. So next thing I wanted to bring up real quickly is um, on Sunday, uh, Notre Dame is going to put uh, John Shoemate in its Ring of Honor, and I'm sure most listeners are saying, "Who's John Shoemate?" Um, so just I, I just want to give you a little, a really quick uh, chronicle of his career. First of all, uh, he he. He was he's from the era when freshmen did not play varsity sports. So as a sophomore, he got he, he couldn't play because he had a, a blood disease. He he darn near died from it. Um, and uh, and so he uh, he he came back uh, from that and played as a junior and as a senior at Notre Dame. As a junior, uh, one of his most remarkable accomplishments was in the NIT. In those days, the NIT was a big deal tournament because only 24 teams went to the NCAA tournament, and and each conference could only send its champion. They could not send their second or third place teams in those days. So the all those teams wound up in the NIT, and it was a really good tournament. Shoemate had a run in that tournament of making over a period of a few games of making 21 straight baskets. 21 without a miss, which was pretty darned impressive. Oh yeah. As a senior, he was as a senior, he was a first team all-American. He 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 went head to head with Bill Walton in the game where they famously ended the uh, 88 game winning streak with UCLA and uh, he played he played Bill Walton even. Um, went on, became a first round draft pick in the NBA and played a few years and then the blood disease came back and and ended his career. 
he was a really great basketball player. He was, you know, truly an outstanding uh, ba- basketball player, an amazing physical specimen at, at six foot nine and very athletic. Oh yeah, that an awesome so, fit, I don't know. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll give a tip of the hat to shoe. I would say yes. Why don't we bring in uh, Mr. Murphy and we're going to talk a little bit about some soccer here, Kevin? Why don't you hang on as long as you can? But uh, let's get on the. Yeah, I'll hang on. I got to go about. Uh, I got to go about ten minutes early, so that'll give us about five now. Hi, Mike. Mike, are you with us? Andrew, do we have Mike? He's on. He might not be near the phone right now. Uh, he, he's he's off getting some breakfast or something. Anyway, he comes back, we'll. Yeah, hey, Tom, he, he's I'm in the sorry. can. You what? I was gonna say he's in the can. Okay. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, uh, Kevin, I wanted to add something to what you were talking about with uh, the logistics management courses at. Uh, I'm assuming you're talking about Indiana University and so I, I a be, lot I be, I of be, Army, uh, what are called foreign area officers, go to Indiana for both language training and that logistics training. So uh, that's why it makes sense to, uh, to, to do some of those things at IU and, and they also, those foreign area officers, a lot of them delve into uh, the logistics part of the business, and then they help the foreign forces that were, like, for instance, you know, Macedonia or somewhere in the Balkans, whatever, and they help them develop their own logistics within those forces. So what you're suggesting is actually a very good idea to talk to the people at uh, IU about logistics management. Well, Mike, isn't oh, yeah, it true? And, and we have, and we actually we actually send uh, a lot of our students, you know, who complete their associate's degree uh, to IU to finish up the bachelor's. This, this particular program that I was describing is something that we have developed in the last year with the crane uh, operation, which is near Bloomington. Um, and uh, you know, Crane is a, it, it is, believe it or not, in the middle of Indiana, there is a naval operation, a naval base. It's, the, it's their uh, war, you know, naval warfare uh, planning thing. And it's, it's you know, this, this, this program is built for, um, basically for, you know, for, for the Navy, but, uh, but also for civilian contractors, for um, contract, you know, people who want to work for companies that are contractors. And it's a really, really good program for somebody who is coming off of active duty and, you know, wants in a couple of semesters to have some certifications and to have, you know, kind of the, uh, um, the stamp of approval on their credentials. So um, it's, it's slightly different from what they or It's actually substantially different from what they do at IU, but it's, it's a good complement to it. Well, isn't it, Mike, if fair, I mean, I'll just lob this in here for 30 seconds, that the, the big strength, I mean, obviously our, our fighting people are are pretty darn good, right? Uh, uh, but other people's fighting people are pretty darn good, too. But the the other, the thing that sets us apart, and it goes really go back to, you know, George Marshall's reign during World War II, is we're more capable of anybody, and not only just more capable, but we, we realize how important it is to have a supply chain, to have... The soldier, the gun, the bullets, the food, the out, the, the, the uniform, everything all on the same day gives somebody the best chance to come on out, walking out, right? It's all about 
I mean, a ship with no shells is no good. It's, it's all about getting all that together, and there's never been anybody that's been as good at that as we are, right? I mean, that's, that's our biggest strength. Uh, you, you, always, you always talk about the seven hours of logistics, the right place, the right time, the right product, the right, all, you know, all of that. And that's what that's, that's what that's about. And, yes, we are really, really good at it in the military. The, the, it, the, and, and Mike can comment on this. There's also a diplomacy angle to it, though, because when you're doing something overseas, you have to move your stuff through other countries, and so that's a whole other can of worms that's involved with uh, military supply chains that you don't have to worry about in the same ways for uh, for a business supply chain. Well, Mike, uh, what do you what do you do in a situation? Lou was talking yesterday. I don't know if you had a chance to listen, but uh, you talking about and I don't I know nothing about bullets. 55 caliber was the old one we used to use, and now they're 62 something something. But the people who make the uh, 55 caliber is like almost like a mom and pop kind of business. I'm sure we drove by, but it wouldn't look like a mom and pop place. He said, but they they now are going to be just got a contract to do like you know two million bullets or some massive number. What 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 is it? I mean, what in your experience, what how easy is it for a lot of these places to like double or triple their production? Are they are the machines as old as us and? Uh, they're just they're just getting their last gasp. Is the stuff new? Can they get new stuff? I mean, I mean, I know it's a very general question, but how tough of, is it for really somebody to ramp up? And I know something about the machinery part from Pullman and my nephew and people, but it seems to me that that's hard to do. Once, um, especially if the stuff is older. What do you, what's your feeling on that? Well, I think uh, some of it, it may be hard to do, Tom. But usually the ammunition, you know, is. Uh, it could be 7.62, I think, is one of the types of ammunition. could be 5.56. You know, they make a NATO round, and it's a standard NATO round, so there are probably manufacturers for definitely for a standard NATO round that should be able to adapt quickly. Now, some of the more exotic rounds, uh, that may, you know, that would be an issue. But for, and what you were what you alluded to earlier when you sent me that one email about the depleted uranium stock, you know, those are special type uh, rounds, more than rounds. I mean, they're, uh, they're <laughs> you know, that's just, uh, well, they're, they're depleted uranium rounds, and that's a, that's a big deal. It's much more specialized production. So those people, uh, if the capability you know and you have to probably have to have uranium to do it and whatever other minerals are going into it and it's much more specialized and they wouldn't be as quick to adapt plus it's much more expensive well it just seems like if you if, if you and i bought one of these places we walk out and we go all right we got this machine and it's you know kevin's foundry's name is on the machine and we find out that that Kevin croaked 50 years ago, now what do we do? <laughs> the, the Kevin's foundry's long gone. I mean, you're going to run into that somewhere. I mean, because we've been, we've been not doing this for so long or not doing it to the same extent, aren't we? Or, or, or am I making this more of a problem than it is? No, I think you're right. You know, and, and the Raytheon guy, that, that the president of Raytheon or CEO, whatever he was, I mean, he wouldn't be making that statement if, they're, if they could react quickly. So, you know, number one, it's expensive to make the round, and number two, we're using up all of our inventory. And it's very difficult, well, it's extremely difficult to go to war 
with a just-in-time inventory. And, uh, you know, the uh, in the Rumsfeld era in DOD and maybe a little bit before that, you know, that, that's when they started thinking about, that's when they started converting to just-in-time inventory. And, and that doesn't work for, uh, you know, a long-term war. Uh, now, it, it may have worked for Afghanistan because the enemy wasn't that sophisticated. But obviously, it's not working for Ukraine and Russia because you have a very sophisticated or a somewhat sophisticated enemy on the Russian side, and the Ukrainians don't have the capability internal. Now, some things the Ukrainians are very good at, but uh, doing, you know, making rounds, uh, well, depleted uranium rounds, for instance, they're not good at. They're very good at refurbishing tanks, for instance. But, you know, that's, that's, not, the, uh, that's not the issue for that particular war. Well, what's uh, Mike? When this all starts out, yeah, just, uh, I want to jump in with something, Tom, and then I got to get off. Uh, you know, the the part about just in time too is that it sort it starts at the end, and you work your way backwards from there as right. far as you know when things are ordered, when things are made, etc. And when you get into some of these wartime situations, demand shifts happen. There's significant demand shifts, and they're not always predictable and that's what mike is what mike is describing is it it doesn't necessarily work in these situations because by the time you push everything back to the beginning you don't have the capacity to satisfy the demand at the end and that that gets to be a problem with uh with just in time it works really well when you have a steady demand and you know and it's totally predictable um, it you know then it, it, when that goes away you have to have some just in case inventory. Well, just as a, as a I'll take we don't have much time. I'm gonna take thirty seconds here just to explain. When you go in your local food store, you'll see people just in the aisle with the, with the pallets putting stuff on the shelf. But when I worked at a school a food store, you brought everything in the back room, stored it, and then you brought it out. So you handled it twice. Which is which is not so hot. So if you went to Belvedere, I think it was the first auto place with just in time where you say, okay, we need 300 tires a day. We want somebody showing up every morning with 300 tires. We don't want to touch them twice. We want to bring them right out to where to go on the car, and it's very efficient. But it's also if the guy's a day late, now you can't move. So you know, I Mike, in, in the in the ideal world, I mean, you've probably been involved in some of this at least at some level. How does somebody figure out you got 30 different kinds of missiles? Who decides how many you should order next year? And all of a sudden you get, okay, even if it wasn't just in time, you'd say, well, we need 10,000 in inventory. Well, I don't know. Could it be 8 or 12 or 15 or 5? I mean, it's it's, it's got to be some sort of an educated guess, but still a guess. And all of a sudden you start, well, we're going to send 10,000 to Ukraine. I go, wait a minute, we only got 12. I mean, I, I mean that, that obviously, is that, that, does that generate an immediate order? Or what, what happens there? Uh, well, I... Tom, I have always been involved in the supply of intelligence, so the supply of, you know, the logistics supply is not my forte, but you have to think of the threat. You know, where is the threat coming from, and what do you need to do to counter that threat? So, you know, now the Chinese are up to their shenanigans, and uh, the Russians are always up to their shenanigans, so... We have to develop counters to those threats, and then you figure out how many weapons 
the Russians might have, how many weapons and different systems do the Chinese have, and then you develop things to counter that. But this okay. this this drain in Ukraine. Now there are some there are also some emerging technologies that allow you to make stuff on the fly. So um, you know that's that's the additive manufacturing stuff. I got to jump off, guys. I will. Uh, I uh, uh, Tom, I'll see you on yes. Saturday. Mike, nice talking to you, and I'll catch up to you guys later. Well, but how does how big of a surprise? Even to, like I said, you were in the intelligence, and I don't want you to tell any stories. But uh, how big of a surprise is this thing in Ukraine? I mean. We we knew the Crimea happened how many years ago because I was actually was with a guy last night from from uh, Ukraine. He goes, well, why is everybody shocked? This has been a what a ten year war with the Crimea thing. Uh, but I mean, I, the idea that it has gone this long and this kind of a drain on everybody—I don't know—could anybody have anticipated this? Do we have Mike? Andrew, do we lose him? Oh, I think I dropped the wrong caller. Let me switch that around. Right, we got, yeah, we got to got to call him back, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you wonder how big of a, of a surprise this is to uh, our guys, and I mean, it makes you know it makes massive differences. I mean, if, if you're wrong for a second, uh, you know, all of a sudden you're you're you know, I don't know if you can point fingers and say you didn't anticipate it, but that doesn't that doesn't do anybody any good. I just um, do we have him? Uh, meanwhile, the market's still same, up twenty three on the on the S and P's and up eighty nine on the uh, on the Nasdaq. Yeah, I think these are all these are massive logistical problems, and, and they're all they're all fascinating, and they're really the same kind of a microcosm as people do in any kind of an industry when you're you're doing consumer goods. I mean, what are people going to want this year? Uh, what's what's going to be even in the booze? I mean, uh, how how much are people going to be drinking of ten year old scotch ten years from now? Well, that that's it's all kind of the same sort of uh, intellectual mechanism that you go through to this stuff only. You know, if you run out of bullets for people on the field, it's a little more dangerous not having enough booze for them. Um, where, where did you, you got Mike out in the middle of the ocean or what? He's uh, Anyway. No, I'm here now, Tom. Okay. When Kevin went out, uh, I got cut off. So. Oh, well, what I, was, what I was saying, Mike, is how big of a, of a shocker to the people who are in planning is something like Ukraine? I mean, could anybody have anticipated that? Uh, oh, speaking of, okay. Uh, I think people did anticipate it. We did have some warnings, but uh, as some of the guys that I used to work with um, here in Charlottesville, uh, we've kind of described it as we overestimated the Russians and we underestimated the Ukrainians. So, you know, we just did not realize that we didn't think that this conflict would last this long. So, you know, that was a, uh, I would say, a misjudgment on our part. Well, the, uh, we only got a couple of minutes here, but Angelica, the, what's the, what's the town that was just, that was, uh, allegedly going to be annexed by Russia that the Ukrainians just took back? Is that Kirsten or? Kirsten, Kurson. Well, that's where Angelica is from. And she's been sending me some pictures of, this used to be my school, and the thing is like leveled. And then the, this used to be right. the, this is a hospital I was born in. So, you know, essentially, the Ukrainian guy I was talking to last night. I mean, in in some sense, they're putting up enough of a fight to actually be considered winning at this point. But every shell that lands lands on Ukraine. So it's you're not really. I, don't, I mean, I guess you're winning, but it's not really winning, is it? No, they're you know they're fighting for survival, and you know they're it's very difficult for them to you know take back their own terrain and and the russians have been inside ukraine since essentially 2014 
Yeah. And they have conquered most of eastern Ukraine. So a lot of the Russian-speaking areas of eastern Ukraine. So, you know, and the Ukrainians now are struggling to take that back. Uh, do you see a... Do you see any chance of a negotiated settlement before I let you go? I mean, I, I'll put you in the United Nations first. Is there any chance? Uh, not right now, no. I'm not sure. We have to somehow put more economic pressure on Putin because, you know, frankly, I don't think Zelensky's going to give in, and I don't think the Ukrainian people will let him give in. Because, you know, they are still succeeding, and they are so, uh, they're, they're dead set against Putin now. Oh, yeah. He's, you know, he's enemy number one. So, much remains to be seen there. We would really have to put the hammer down somehow on Ukraine, like stop supplying them, and I just don't see us uh, stopping to supply them. Well, we're not going to run out of stuff, are we? Or are we? I hope not. Does anybody? Well, I'm not going to ask you because you, if you probably do know, you shouldn't say. But are, are we are we really in trouble with supplies, or is it just uh, just talking to get more orders out there? Well, I think uh, that the the CEO is just talking to get more orders out there. But you know, there probably is. Uh, you know, for the for the specialized ammunition, they probably are getting a little bit short. And it's the same thing we did with the strategic, you know, petroleum supply. Uh, you know, we sh- we shouldn't run that down uh, in order to, you know, lower prices in the short term. So we shouldn't run down our strategic supply of ammunition in order to help Ukraine out in the short term. Well, the well, I'll let you go with this one. We 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 should have been selling the oil we sold should have been a hundred dollars a barrel. Now it's. 70 we should be buying some back don't you think i hope they're buying it back that's what they said they were going to start buying back at 70 bucks a barrel so you know and now they're they're saying that you know we're not going to pay any more than 60 bucks a barrel for you know any russian oil but you know somehow putin will get around that somehow next well next week uh Mike, if you, we, we've been talking about that uh, let's work do you see that the uh, <clears throat> the people in uh because we got a dash here the people in Turkey are using this as an excuse to mess with all the tankers coming through the Bosphorus. You see that story this morning? Even though no, they, I haven't seen that one yet, Tom. Well, there's a the, the, the oil that comes out of the through there from uh, it's one of the Russian. It's, it's not a Russian comp- company. It's one of the other ones. Nineteen out of twenty were not Russian oil, but they use it as a way to like stop them all and mess with them. But they're trying to get more money out of them or something. I don't know. Hey, Mike, thank you very much. Talk at you next week uh, at some point. SP futures up twenty three. Nasdaq futures up eighty six. Be right back, Mr. Carl Denninger. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for 
stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProtoRuck can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, everybody. It's Stocks and Jacks. I'm talking about on the, on the phone. Uh, Mike was here to, to, among other things, to talk about soccer. So we're going to have Carl generously back off for 10 minutes here because we've got to talk a little bit about soccer. Plus, Carl probably likes soccer as well. So, so Mike, should I just say that I, when I get focused, I forget stuff, or should I blame it on the producer? <laughs> no. I think it might be you there, Chief. So. Yeah, I, well, I tell you what I do. When, uh, when I get on a subject, especially one that's fascinating like you were talking about, I just... I just bore in. We've known me long enough. You know, it's, that's that's not new. It's just. <laughs> so what is what's going on today? Who do you, who do you like? Okay, today uh, Croatia and Brazil play in the first game. I like Brazil in that one, but if Croatia scores first, it will make it a very interesting game because I think Croatia will be a little overwhelmed today with all the talent that Brazil has. So that's the first game. Second game is Argentina versus the Netherlands. Anybody that watched the U.S. Netherlands game saw they saw the Dutch play. That will probably be the closest game. Uh, uh, well, that that'll be a closer game today than the uh, I think uh, than the Brazil game. And uh, I think that'll be an interesting game. Once again, it depends on who scores first. I think that Argentina might score first. And then the Netherlands will try to fight back. But, uh, and I hope and I think that the Netherlands will win, but we'll see how that one goes. 
Argentina's got a lot of talent led by Lionel Messi, so they'll be tough. And then uh, on Saturday's games, Portugal versus Morocco, that'll be a wild game, I think. And uh, I see Portugal winning that one because they have a lot of young talent. Uh, So with the the Portuguese young talent, I mean, they benched Ronaldo the other day, and I think that the uh, coach may bench him again because his strategy worked. And then the final game of the four of the quarterfinals is England versus France. I see France winning that one in a very close game. But once again, if England scores first, they'll kind of go into a defensive mindset and try to hold off France. But France will be uh, its just too quick. Mbappe and some of his other cohort, cohorts just have too much speed. That guy's really good. And it, yeah, he certainly is. He's, you know, he's leading for the golden boot now. He's already got five goals and at least two assists that I can remember. So, you know, I France will probably be in the finals anyways. And then Netherlands also, and I'm skipping on you, but Netherlands also has some speed. They have a couple of good young guys uh, that, that uh, Gabi Capco, whatever his name is, he's uh, very good, and I think he will cause fits for the Argentinians. So, you know, it, we'll see how things go, but uh, I would say Brazil, Netherlands, France and Portugal will be the semifinalists. All right, bud. We'll have you on early next week to talk about it, if you don't mind. Maybe even Monday, maybe John will yield a little time. So have a nice weekend. Okay. Enjoy your games. Uh, do we have Mr. Carr? We're going to get Mr. Carr in a second. SP Futures are still up 22. NSA Futures up 79. Uh, another interesting uh, piece of information here is, is you try and gauge. I, I try and gauge what, how the economy is doing. It's, it's very, very difficult. I mean, you... You talk about, you know, the, the gross spending is still decent. Inflation's higher, so that doesn't mean we're necessarily buying more. But we're seeing people, credit cards, debt shoot up here, really in record levels. And now, this one, even though it's still a small number, this, this one's very troubling. We have, uh, for those that you don't know, you can actually take a, a hardship withdrawal out of your 401k. I don't, know how, you know, I don't know the nuts and bolts of that, but I know you can do it. It says about 0.5% of workers are participating Participating in 401k plan took a hardship distribution, and it's not very many people. I mean, it's, it's one out of 200, but still, it's the largest on record dating to 2004. So, we're seeing definitely some har- hardship along the line here. And I, as you everybody knows, my feeling is that let's just hope the economy doesn't get bad enough where people are forced to sell houses. Because even though the mortgage rates, I think, have come down from Carl, how are you, bud? We're, we're having logistics moves on the. Uh, and the uh, phone. Plus, you'll never guess that I have a, a gentleman, and he's a soccer expert, but he's also involved in, uh, he was in t- RB Intelligence forever, and we've been talking about uh, with, you know, all these new orders going out for the defense industry, is there, you know, is there a way to, if even if the market goes down, is there a way to, to hide in some of those industries next year and have a pretty good year? We did that. We, some of the people I work with at one of the places, they overweighted their, uh, their stock portfolio this year for people in the defense industries, and and they've done have, a, have had a relatively tremendous year compared to everybody else. And uh, I don't think they're up, but they're not down hardly at all because of that. And uh, you know, is there is that something to be looking at going forward? And it's, you probably know some of this, but it seems like there's all the really big people that everybody knows about, 
And then there's like a whole bunch of like uh, mind pond smaller people or people who focus on one kind of bullet or shell or gun or whatever. And there's not a whole lot of middle places, it appears, where you can invest in. Do you, can you add something to that? Or you, you probably know places that none of the rest of us know. Yeah, that's, um, that, that's essentially the, you know, the way the game works, is that you have the large defense contractors. Everybody knows who they are, you know, the Raytheons and Lockheed Martins and those guys. Um, and then you have, in, in the ammunition area, uh, for small arms. So, you know, we, we call them terrible black rifles, AR-15s. The military version of that is the M-16. Uh, difference is that the military version has select fire. So it either has a three-round burst setting or a fully automatic setting, whereas the civilian ones don't. There's a third position on the selector that you can turn it to. On the civilian ones, it, the, the switch doesn't go there. It only goes to two places. Um, but they use the same ammunition, and Lake City is probably the best-known uh, that ships primarily into the military market. Uh, and and that stuff's bog standard. Uh, I mean, you know, it's it, it's been made for you know since since Stoner's thing was uh, created and went into service in Vietnam. And then you have a bunch of little guys that make all kinds of things. There's I, I was listening earlier, and and you know, one of the things that was brought up was you know, depleted uranium rounds that are are those are not small arms. Those are things that that you know go into howitzers and stuff like that tank, uh, you know, tank ammunition. That is a, a highly specialized manufacturing process, and, and the reason is that uh, depleted uranium is actually U-238. Right? So when you dig up uranium out of the ground, there's a little bit of U-235 in there, and that's what you separate out in order to make nuclear fuel. What's left is U-238. It is fertile, but it's not fissile, so it cannot explode. Uh, but the reason it's used is because besides being extremely heavy, which is good for any kind of a round, uh, uranium is pyrophoric. So when it goes through something like the side of a tank and the, the metal shreds it as it goes through, the dust that gets created on the other side ignites. Oh, great. And as, and as a result, uh, not only do you make a hole in something, and create damage from the hole being made. But if there's anybody inside there or anything inside there, it ignites and burns with the, you know, with the heat of a thousand suns. Even though it's not a nuclear explosion, it ignites and burns. And so it, it does tremendous destructive uh, things to whatever happens to be inside the thing you shoot. <laughs> well, you know, I did, the, uh, I did the, the tour of the battleship in New Jersey, which, by the way, if anybody is ever in Philadelphia, not only taking the little water taxi across the, the river and, there's a couple other uh, almost revolutionary war ships there. Uh, I don't know that, that you know real that are, are navy were navy ships that you kind of drive by and, and a little water taxi would be pretty neat to watch. But I did the the full tour, well not the full tour, the bigger biggest one you could take on the New Jersey, and it, you actually climb it where you climb into this turret from like the bottom. I don't know if you've ever done this, Carl. But yeah, it's a so it's got what 17 inches of steel around the turret. And I and I sit there. I go in there and I go, and there's like 30 people in there. And I'm thinking this is either the most protected place there is, or it's like a tomb, <laughs> one one or the other, because we're not getting well, out of here. So or something. You, you know, if you, if, if you go down to Mobile, you could you can go through the battleship there. That's on Mobile Bay. 
It's one of that's open as a museum. You can just walk through it. You don't have to take a tour. It's you know, I mean, they they have tours that they run, but you can just self guide and you know go check out the parts of the ship that are open, which is most of it. Um, you can get into one of the engine rooms if you want, and into the turret area and the and the magazine underneath it, the, the you know where the where the conveyors are and stuff that you know bring. And yeah, I mean the deck, the, everything around that area. Look at the deck. You know, the, the hatches are a foot and a half thick, right? Yeah. <laughs> Solid steel. And, and, I mean, that's great, right up until one of them actually really just get something inside there, and then you've really got trouble. <laughs> so. Well, the, uh, which, that, that's the generation before. That's not one of the Iowa class. It has to be one of the North Carolina class. Yeah, that's, uh, that's World War II stuff. But, I mean, there were, there were, uh, the, the the last iteration of battleships were the were the Missouri class Missouri uh, New Jersey Wisconsin and Ohio right and uh and right yeah this is BB sixty is the is is the one that's down there in Mobile all right so that's the last one of the class before which I believe was a North Carolina class which was a little slower South Dakota okay so it was a it's a it, it had the same size guns but it was uh wasn't as long and narrow so it wasn't as fast. But it was was pretty much just as deadly. It had the same sixteen inch guns, I believe. Matter of fact, I think the guns are identical. I've yeah, it's, I mean, believe me, getting shot at by one of those is not going to be a good thing. No, no, it's a. Well, then they had the one, the the the, the people on the on the ground in uh, Gulf War One. They 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 put up a sheet. They had a some kind of a drone. They had a drone, and the battleship was was twenty miles away, and it was landing stuff. On these guys inland, and they didn't they surrender to the battleship? Yeah, I mean it's you know these they are the sixteen inch guns, and and boy, I'll tell you what when you you know when you get up inside one of those turrets, you see you know the, the whole setup with the with the breach and everything down, and and the shells because they have the you know the shell handling part of the underneath the turret itself. Uh, is open and so they've got some of the shells that are out there on display that are you know in the in the carousel that it's, if you're actually at war that's where they'd be before they went into the elevator and you know brought up into into the turret and, and loaded into the breach room where the you know where they're actually fired from you look at those things you go oh my god <laughs> Well, there's guys in there. There's guys. I mean, and, and they have to. And they have yeah, to. Oh yeah. No. There's, yeah. There's, there's. I mean, you can go. You can sit in the gutters, chairs. Well, the, when you load the thing, of course, these things are too big for people to handle. So there's all these con- conveyors that bring it up there, and then you shove the thing in there, and you put the the powder and the powder in behind it, and the powder is is just in these big bags that are silk. And right, it's these huge, yeah, it's these, these, these large bags that, that go in behind the projectile, and then you close the breach. But then the breach comes flying back into the room, or whatever you want to call it. So the guys inside got to scuttle the hell out of there. And uh, and I think they can load. When you talk about, and this is what I always I always talk about the uh, American stuff. It's it's the little the little things that make a difference sometimes when you're in warfare. Not that I've ever. I mean, I think I didn't go to. Vietnam. I mean, I was not great for Vietnam, but. Uh, I know an awful lot of people who were, and all that didn't come back. But I mean, the, it's the little things. When you talk about, you know, could the Missouri fight the Bismarck or the Yamato or something? Well, people forget the little stuff. I, I think I think the Missouri could reload in under a minute. Or didn't it take the Bismarck like two and a half minutes and the Yamato like three minutes? Well, hell, even even if you're not quite as powerful, which they were, not as not as powerful as the Yamato. It was 18 inch guns. But if you're if you're shooting three times as fast, my money's on you. 
right? I mean, well, yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I mean, how many how many hits from one of those do you take before you're done? Uh, well, I mean, the ship is designed. If you land it, probably right on the on the turret where the 17 inches are, right on the armor belt, you probably survive. But if anywhere else, you're screwed. Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, you go through any of the because yes, the ship is armored, but if but like I said, you can walk through the entire thing, the Alabama. And um, there's, you know, the, the area where the magazine is and the turrets, uh, you know, above it, uh, the, the deck thickness is unbelievable, yeah. you know, along with the hatches and everything else. Everywhere else, not so much. It's a shit. Well, I have a question for you. The, because, I mean, I don't know what anybody else I could ask them. We know the answer to this. They, they had some sort of a half-assed computer. Uh, in the in the in the firing mechanism thing, you can actually you can actually see pictures of it. Well, you, if you go well, there, it's you mechanical. Can, but but I mean, you you put in uh, tr- help me with this. I think you put in the the speed of the ship, the speed and direction of the wind, um, the distance you think to the other ship. There's like five variables, and you put it in there. Now, is that a mechanical calculation? I mean, it wasn't it wasn't electronic. Is, that, is it sort of like a cash register? Is it the same sort of principle? Yeah, well, it's uh, yeah, it's mechanical computer, okay, and it's and I mean, if you think about it, it's it's the same sort of uh, you know genius that came up with the Norton bomb site, right? Which is which is essentially the same thing. It's mechanical computer that that solves for the you know the speed in the case of bomb sites, the speed of the plane, the, the you know the, the wind speed and direction and and you know distance to target, your altitude, whatever. Uh, and and the same thing here that you. Yeah, it tells you what the elevation and the azimuth are in the barrel in order to, uh, you know, for the shell to land on the target. Well, what? How long would it take? This is mechanical stuff. I mean, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm an engineer of any sort, but I would think that if all of a sudden we had neutron bombs all over and every, everything was gone, how long would it take for somebody to invent a cash register, a mechanical cash register again? Well, we still know how to do it. I mean, it, it, you know, I'm sure the plans still exist. It would be a function of. And, you know, I, when, when I was growing up, my father was a CPA. He, uh, before there were electronic calculators, it was, you know, it was electromechanical uh, adding machines. I remember the ones we had to pull the lever. Yeah, well, they, they, you know, but he, he had an electromechanical one in his office, and he brought it home, and it was on the cart table in the living room when he was, yeah. you know, doing work. And, and then he had one of the original Monroe 30s, which was the, the first portable calculators, four-function calculator. Uh, but he still brought the machine home because the machine produced the tape. And sometimes when you're, you know, when you're doing accounting, you, ha- you have to have the tape. Well, yeah, you can check it for sure. What, uh, right? What, what, do you, what is your your feel before we get to, we have the PPI here in a few minutes? What is wh- where is your feel of where the economy actually is? Boy, you listen to one person, listen to another person. It's it's really you listen to a high end restaurant, and, and evidently the world is their oyster. Uh, you, you go down a notch, maybe not so much. You see. People putting money on credit cards. You see some stuff coming down dramatically. Gasoline, maybe some used car prices. The stuff that the Fed can affect is coming down. The stuff that they that they just blew up that's never going to come down. Hospital bills and electric bills and stuff. I don't know what's going to do with that. Isn't that no? Oh, oh yeah. Oh yes, they are going to come down because they're they're you're just going to run out of money to be able to pay for it. Um, well, but I guess I mean I don't see anybody's. Does anybody you know at the end of December here? You know, is, is PTI going to get a letter from an insurance company saying uh, two grand a month you're paying last year for people's insurance? It's nineteen hundred this year. I, I doubt we get that letter. Well, that's not going to happen right away. I mean, it, and, and it's going the other way. Uh, yeah. You know, it, uh, 
but the, the, in terms of where the economy is, uh, you know, we saw the same thing in 2007. It seems so long ago, doesn't it? Yep. You know, 15 years, and yet we saw the same pattern lay out. We had we had all the signs for things were going to go right down the toilet uh, fairly imminently. And yet, all the happy face stuff was out there. The consumer looked perfectly fine. But if you looked inside the data, what you saw was that everybody, you know, people were they're charging their groceries and they were paying it off at the end of the month. Okay, they were charging that, you know, charging gas like you always do. You know, you, you put your card in, you know, in the in the pump, right? Fill the tank up. But come the end of the month, the, the bill's six hundred dollars, and you don't have it. So come the end of the month, it rolls over. And then, you know, now you're getting hammered with a 19% interest or whatever it is. And, and that stuff starts to accumulate within the economy. And yet people are still going out and spending the money for a period of time. And, it's, and it takes a while before the guy gets that statement a couple of months later. And he opens up and he looks at it, $2,800? Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. <laughs> right. And that's, and that's coming here. Uh, and, and the thing is, the happy face stuff that you're seeing from the Fed, uh, which, which, by the way, they're not actually saying. One of the most fascinating parts of this is that you look at what the market has done over the last, you know, the last uh, couple of weeks. There's this huge rally. The entire thing gets taken back off. All of this on the, on the idea that you know, the Fed is, is going to slow down and they're only going to do 50 here in, you know, this month, and then you know, they're going to back off. When Powell comes out and says, excuse me, um, I don't know where you got that from, but the, yeah, the 50 yeah, makes some sense. But we're not here at the terminal rate. There, and, and not only that, there's nowhere in the curve that is above the rate of inflation right now. Nowhere. No. no. Okay, so you're still being paid to borrow. People are still getting the juice. And yet, when you, when you look at what is actually being said... And then you look at inflation expectations, which is what the Fed really fears getting out of control. Every month when that report comes out, it's ticking up. It's up another couple ticks. It's up another couple ticks. It's up another couple ticks. Until that fever breaks, you're not going to see the Fed stop. Why don't... um, I mean, I'm I'm trying to be fair here. And I... Well, with your help, to be honest with you... uh, we have been noting this inflation for as long as you've been on the show. It's been there in yep. hospitals. It's been everywhere. And the, 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 the Fed blindly looks, well, I don't know if they're blind or not, but they, they look at these numbers, and now those numbers are going to run off. All the, all the stuff that should have been in the housing numbers last year are now going to come through this year or next year when the prices really aren't going up. When, when are these guys going to de- decide that, guys, we can't, we can't be making policy on 18-year-old, 18-month-old numbers? We don't know why these guys are so far behind, but we know they are, and why are we making policy? Like, they got, the, guy's more, <clears throat> the guy's more concerned about inflation today than he was 18 months ago. <clears throat> and there's well, no well, comparison to how much inflation is. When, when was the last time that you, that you saw a... Fed chair, I don't care who it is, go up in front of Congress. All right, now you used to hear Bernanke every now and then say, well, you know, what you're doing there with, with this is unsustainable. The, the only word you ever heard out of these guys that was that was on a cut that crap out yeah. was the word unsustainable, right? And you used to hear that 
you know, with some regularity, and, and you still do sometimes when the when you know the Fed chair goes up and talks on the hill. What you don't hear them say is, "You're the reason this is happening." We are required by law to follow a set of rules. We're going to do that because that's what the law says we have to do. We can bend it to your will to a certain extent, and we will because we all don't want to have you turn around and, and repeal or, or change the Federal Reserve Act, which you could do, <laughs> okay? Um, and that would be bad. But the reality of the situation is is that if you're putting $6 trillion into the economy over the space of two and a half years that doesn't exist because you won't tax it first and you don't have any plan to take it back out, because the only way to do that is, of course, to wildly increase the tax rate on on basically everything. Uh, this is going to show up in inflation, and oh, by the way, when it does, we're going to be required to take that liquidity back out of the economy, and it's going to crash the housing market, it's going to crash the stock market, and it's going to cause unemployment. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, have you ever heard that speech from any of these guys? No, well, they're... they're they they claim they're most powerful people, but they really sort of aren't. I don't know. It's kind of a chief Janet Yellen, uh, like a week ago, comes out and says the reason we have inflation is because people are spending money. Um, Janet Yellen got her seven million dollars and stopped doing anything. I think, just... I, but I mean, you know, this is this is now our Treasury Secretary, but Janet Yellen was the chair of the Federal Reserve. Yeah. yeah. And didn't cause a lot of okay, problems. Okay, by the that. way, didn't Geithner get the same sort of sweetheart deal after running the New York Fed desk during the crash? Uh, what do you mean? What do you mean? Uh, well, what I mean is that Ben Bernanke told Congress during the middle of this, when Raymond was going on, that he was that he was adding liquidity to the system, and the New York Fed's public records that were contemporaneously published right. the same day said sixty billion dollars was taken out. Uh, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, right. I, I don't understand why. And then to not give people the money supply numbers, I, there's, 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 well, two things. One is I don't know if they should have the right to do that when they've been, especially since they've been doing it forever. But am I supposed to be foolish enough to believe that they're just withholding? They're that they're not computing those numbers anymore, and some people aren't getting them. Well, yeah, of course people are getting a PPI, by the way, up 0.3 on the month, 7.4 final demand for across 12 months. What do you say we're going to break, come back and talk about PPI and what's in there and what isn't? SP Futures up 16 now. SP Futures have dumped almost 100 points. They're down 50. Uh, so we're all over the place. We'll talk about when we come back and break. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is $7.99 
online on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-349. Five six. That's seven zero eight three four nine three four five six. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Well, we're back, stocks and jocks. I'm Tom Howell, Andrew on the board. The, uh, the stuff I get here from delay over in Europe, i got to wait for a minute on that. But the S&P futures are now down 20, so they flipped 30 points on this. Uh, we were expecting 0.2% on the, the the monthly number. We got 0.3, and we were expecting 0.3 X food and energy, and we got 0.4. So the market's having a little hissy fit here on that. Um, why don't you do a traffic weather sports, Andrew, and we're gonna, I'll try and hope this other stuff catches up. Sure thing. That sounds good. It is 734 here in Chicago on Friday, December 9th. Uh, Starting with sports, over in the NBA, tonight uh, in Arizona, the Suns play the Pelicans at 7.30. Over to the NFL, uh, last night the Rams beat the Raiders, ending their game uh, 17-16. Now for the NHL, tonight the Blackhawks play the Jets at 7.30, and the Bruins play the Coyotes at 8.30. Both of those are Chicago time. Uh, Over to weather. In Chicago, it is currently raining, and it's probably going to be a lot throughout the day. A bit of rain and maybe even snow. Uh, We're currently at 36 degrees. We're only going to have a high of 38, so not much better. Uh, Over in Phoenix, it is currently cloudy at 45 degrees. They're going to have a high of 66. And now finally for Chicago traffic, um, on the northbound Stevenson, slow traffic on the exit ramp to the inbound Dan Ryan is causing some delays. Um, and in addition, there are no major accidents to report on the major expressways, um, but there is certainly a lot in the yellow, orange, and especially red today. Uh, so expect delays in traffic on nearly all inbound roads, and especially outbound roads on the northern side, uh, particularly the Stevenson, is pretty heavy if you're going to be leaving the city this morning. So that's all I got. Are you? That's pretty interesting because the. Uh, uh Friday's not a day when a lot of people come to work. Monday and Friday are the days where 
Yeah. Uh, whatever. So, Carl, uh, here's a couple of headlines before we get into the PPI stuff. Uh, see, the, the Turkey is, is messing with the Russian oil stuff, even though not, it's not Russian oil, just trying to mess with them. They got 20 tankers holed up on the Bosphorus. Uh, freight rates from China to West Coast are down 90% as global trade falls yep. off. U.S. manufacturing orders from China are down 40% and demand collapse. Um, yeah, these are pretty bad headlines, especially if you're China. Well, I, you know, we have a bunch of people on my system that are in various parts of logistics business, you know, whether they're truckers or whatever have you, right? But, you know, they move the stuff, okay? Yep. <laughs> and um, even those that are normally insulated from the, you know, the fringe types of things. I mean, you know, you look at what happened to Yellow Freight. Uh, you know, they basically imploded. They did a huge reverse stock split in order to stay listed. And, and then just recently... Biden grabbed a whole bunch of money that was allocated in the uh, in the pandemic relief to basically cover a pension shortfall to shortfall to PBGC that was uh, you know basically screwed all those guys right. Um, so I mean these these guys are if you're in that group you're probably done because with this kind of a shortfall those guys that are on the, the lower end of the totem pole they're. Uh, in the logistics business, they're finished, right? There's, there, there's no way that they can take that kind of a, a volume collapse to survive. They've, they've got too much in the way of embedded costs, and uh, it's just, it's, it's hopeless. So you're going to see, you're going to see some bankruptcies there. It's very unfortunate that uh, there's really no meat on that bone. I, I, when I heard about this, I started looking at some of the. You know, okay, can I get some puts? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, you can buy puts on stock that uh, that sells for two dollars, but it's not really worth much, right? No. So yeah, those those kinds of things. Uh, the, that that ship sailed uh, a few years ago, but I think you're going to see that kind of a collapse coming. The thing, there's there's some very interesting data inside this PPI report. Uh, so what's happening here is that you're seeing demand collapse on the good side, and it is reflecting in the PPI. So you are seeing that uh, that, that final demand number is coming down. 7.4 was, yeah, was the headline. Uh, last month it was 8.1, 8, but then 8.5, 8.7. Right? So that has been coming down. And there's, there's about a 12-month lead time. Uh, and you can take about 3% off that in terms of the, the productivity improvement that you get over time to uh, you know, to look at what that's going to reflect into uh, in terms of inflation and prices uh, twelve months out, uh, and that's that's been a pretty consistent pattern over the last you know, twenty thirty years. So I mean, that's a that's a fairly good number. So you know, seven point four. So take three off. Um, you know, so that's four four four, which uh, by the way is still double the Fed's two percent inflation target, right? Right. Well. Right, so yeah. so so game's not over, guys, but but it is going the right direction. All right. Um, now the the bad news, though, is that inside the services data, there's actually an increase in pricing. Well, uh, in other words, the trend's going the wrong way. Now, remember, we're seventy percent services economy. Right. Well, okay, but the the if you went back, which I know you have, because I'm just expounding on the listeners if you go back a whole year and you and i have been going over this there's been, there have been a lot of months where this number has been 0.3.4 in the in the goods part which actually well i think probably more flows through to this consumer part was like 
one and the certain the services were like negative. So I'm not going to put right, it. but here, but here's the problem. Okay, so if I go back, if I look at this 12 month services number on intermediate demand services, okay, um, in July it was plus 6.3 on a 12 month rolling basis. Then five nine, that was the low. That was in July five nine. Now we've got six one six two six 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 seven. It's going the wrong direction. Right, uh, but I'm saying for a, for a long period of time, if you I mean, nobody wants to have a whole lot of uh, of uh, you know sympathy for lawyer, lawyers and brokers, I guess, and money managers. But for a real long period of time, lawyers and people like us were we're not seeing our. In fact, our, our, our fees are probably even or down, and yet the cost of paper for the office was going up. So, I mean, it, it, well, and, and and that's where it's and it's reflecting in there. Okay, and yeah. now it's starting to get pushed back into pricing. Right. But what, so what, you're right. I mean, that's the thing is that what happens is is that the the good side goes into the overhead aspect of the business, which you have to. I mean, you got to pay for it, right? I mean, right. you need toner cartridges for your printers, so you have to pay that money, right? You have, if the electric bill goes up, guess what? <laughs> you know, your lights have to be on. Your computers have to have power to run. So you don't have any choice but to pay that, and eventually that pressure ends up showing up on the services side. Right, if, if you can, if you can raise them, depending on what you're well, in. Well, but if you can't, you go out of business, ultimately. Well, right, I mean, it, 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 there comes a point at which you go into the barbershop, and instead of 25 bucks, it's going to be 30 if everything the well, guy it, buys. And, is, and you know, the barber has no choice, because right. if he doesn't, you can't pay the power bill. Right, but then... But right. like, but so, like, and what I'm saying is that that's now filtering into the services index, and this is one of the things that is going to prevent the Fed from stopping establishing a positive yield curve. I, I, I still think, Carl, and I, you know, I, I don't get a whole lot of agreement on this, and this, this goes back to the, the, to the 70s when I was doing this for a living. Well, not a living. It's one of the things I did at Pullman. Uh, the, the, these, these CPI numbers are hopelessly behind, and you, 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 if if they would have put an eighteen month or twelve month regression on the damn thing, we should have had these rates up two years ago, and they should be coming down now. If we'd have done it right, properly, but they didn't. And, but they didn't, and they never do, Chief. Yeah. Okay. I, I get it. I mean, I I asked one of the my two one of the two guys in the Fed actually were here working, and we'd have an adult beverage. I said, why why are you guys believing these CPI numbers? And they said. Chief, you cannot walk into a Fed meeting and have eight people working for the government spend the entire meeting saying another whole section of the government, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, is full of crap or or, or, or late or whatever they are. You 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 just you just use the stuff because that's not your job. And I'm thinking, yeah, but I, I guess if <laughs> but it's supposed to be right. I mean, I, I guess you, I mean at some point you got to say it's not raining. You're peeing on my shoe. I mean, I mean, right? I mean. <laughs> So, you know, that's well, yeah, no, I, that's that's the thing is that it, 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 the, the the Fed is constrained. You know, it's like people say, well, why is the CBO number for for the deficit? Why are their projections always short of reality? Okay, why is that the case? And the answer is because the law says that the CBO is required to compute those numbers based upon every program that has an expiration date actually expiring. And this is why every single year Congress votes on this doc fix for Medicare that prevents that from happening. 
This is the reason that they don't just change the law to say, well, you know, every year we're going to put this adjustment in that's, you know, that's whatever the CPI is, uh, you know, plus one or whatever. You know, whatever the number ends up being historically, say, okay, we're going to put this in the law and that's what we're going to do. The reason they don't do that is because the CBO is required to assume that they won't pass the doc fix. And therefore, it makes the numbers look better than they really are. And they know this. It's organized fraud. It is intentional. And it's done across the board throughout the, the various annals of government. And this is the reason you get these, these kinds of distortions. It's not an accident. Congress does all of this. Well, how do you, how would you, I mean, without going to some, you know, our discussion, which we probably should have someday about, you know, constitutional conventions and all those kinds of things and changing stuff, um, it, it appears to me, and this, I'll wander over the political spectrum here for a second, but it's not politics, it's that the, the Congress management of the country and the state management of the state and other things, city, how far do you know, is, is exactly the same, not exactly the same, but damn near the same as when, when I was in grad school and you were trying to design compensation packages for CEOs that at that time were just getting basically benefited by, you know, quarterly earnings. Right. It's, it's okay, if, 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 you, if it's Carl's business and you're 40 and you plan on retiring from that place and you have two kids that love the business, male or female, and they say, Pops, it's when you go, it's ours and whatever, and our, 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 our one-year-old even likes the place, and it's going to be his, you're, you're not going to do anything like you know, you know, pee in the creek uh, because your son is going to have to clean the damn thing up for thirty times the amount of money you saved by peeing in the creek. I mean, you're you're going to have a long term view of things, and it doesn't make mean every decision you make is going to be right. But you're going to have some kind of an idea that I, I'm everybody. In order for us to still be here fifty years from now, labor has to be pretty happy. The the the, the people we do business with in the neighborhood have to be pretty happy. The employee's got to be pretty... I mean, everything all sort of goes together to where you really don't have a management problem, I don't think. Now, and, and, and to some of that extent, companies have at least tried by giving people stock and stock options. A lot of that has backfired. But there's at least been an effort in that regard. But now you, you flip over to Congress or the presidency or the mayorship or the governorship. It's all about two years, four years, six years. And, it, right. and, it's, and it's, it's not about... I mean. They'll do whatever they can do to push things off into the next election, thinking that somehow there's a fix. But if you do that all the time, look where we are. I mean, look where we are. I mean, and I don't know, I don't know how you, from a management, I don't know that when the founding fathers put this together, they expected these guys to, you know, I'm going to say, I'll use the term make laws. It wasn't like there wasn't going to be a budget, but there was no income tax. You had some tariffs, and you paid the army through the tariffs. And it, was a, it was a much simpler world. Now these guys, on some sort of a scale, are really managers of a, of a $20, billion dollar enter- or $20 trillion dollar enterprise. It's, that's a whole different program than this Constitution was set up to do, I think. Now, whether, you, whether any kind of change would make it worth or not, worse or not, but somehow or other, I think as a country, we have to have this discussion. I think. Because, am I wrong or not? No, you're right. I, I just don't know how we I don't know how we do it. I don't either. Okay, this is this is one of the challenges. You know, when you when you think about what's going on with with so many of these things, and there, I have a column up this morning that that touches on two 
two things similar to this, okay? And, and it's specifically aimed at the executive. It's not aimed at Congress, it's aimed at the executive. And that's because we, we have two programs, uh, one of which is, is now up in front of the courts, and, and this is the DACA thing, okay? And you've got Dick Durbin, who's been out there saying, you know, of course, you know, he's, he's your guy, right? Uh, I wouldn't uh, call him my guy, but yes, he's our guy. Well, he's your guy. Yeah, I yeah. mean, he's Illinois. All right. 20 years ago, Dick Durbin authored and tried to get passed legislation that would essentially regularize those, those kids that were brought in here illegally. They themselves did not make the decision to illegally cross the border into the United States. Their parents did, but they're here. Okay, 20 years ago, he started trying to get this passed, and he failed could not get Congress to pass the legislation. He, he did his level best, he failed. Ten years ago, Barack Obama did this unilaterally with executive action. He knew it was illegal. He, he absolutely knew it was illegal because Congress had been trying to pass it for ten years and had refused. Right, oh yeah. Okay, so, so this was not something that he just got a wild hair up his butt and, and you know, decided to do with no backstory. He knew full well that this was not constitutional. But he also knew that it, there'd be essentially nobody was standing who could sue because it, the damage is diffuse throughout the taxpaying body, and the Supreme Court has repeatedly held the taxpayers cannot sue for damages done to the fiscal state of the United States. Okay, so he did this knowing it was illegal, and he also knew that it would take a decade for this to work its way through the courts and get ruled that way. Well, eventually it does. Now, in the lame duck session, they want to shove through something that will so-called fix this. The problem is, it's unconstitutional, and it, and it has been that way. Now, if Congress was to turn around and, and through regular order debate this and pass, okay, fine, but retroactively legalizing these people 20 years later is something you cannot do constitutionally because ex post facto laws are against the law, period. So, and yet, this is, they're going to try to do this. This is not a Democrat-only problem. If you remember... During the pandemic, President Trump had the CDC unilaterally impose a rent moratorium on private landlords. Right. Oh, yeah. That was illegal, blatantly unconstitutional. The CDC has no authority to seize private property and give it to somebody else. It does have the authority to seize and destroy infected things. So if you have a load of, of shrimp that's you know, it comes in the United States and it's infected with some pathogen. They, they do have the statutory authority to do that. Trump knew that was illegal. The CDC knew it was illegal. They did it anyway. The problem that comes about with this sort of activity, and both parties are equally guilty of it, is that in many cases when the harms in this kind of a situation occur, money doesn't fix them. When you sue in civil court, the only remedy you have available to you is money damages. That's it. There isn't anything else you can get in a civil court. And yet, when you look at the, some of the other things that were done uh, you know, during the, the last three years, uh, money damages are not a sufficient compensation for somebody who's dead. They are not a sufficient compensation for somebody who comes in here into the country and has no legal right to be here 
and yet has had their association and and um, education and everything else destroyed in their home nation because they've, they've been gone for 20 years. Money doesn't fix this. So how do you stop this nonsense? And the only way that I can think of that doesn't involve very nasty, violent sorts of things is for the courts to put their foot down and say, I don't care that this screws a whole bunch of people. We're going to do it anyway. And the reason we're going to do it is because the blowback has to go on the politicians that did this. It never will. I, I, uh, it seems, Colin, you brought out some of the things, the individual uh, whatever, but it, two things come to mind. I read this piece once, and they were talking about how one of the weaknesses in the Constitution is the presidential powers are actually because some of it's silent, they're actually stronger than they are because there's no... And they said that one of the biggest weaknesses of the Constitutional Convention was they knew George Washington was going to be the president, and George Washington was such an honorable man that he didn't have to worry about that kind of crap, basically. And uh, right. But guess what? He's gone. And, and it, it strikes me that one of my uh, one of my buddies, an attorney, real bright guy, uh, he's, not, he's not been on the show, but he gave me a... a a lunch I paid, and he gave me a, a whole iteration on on people in Congress that weren't supposed to trade, and they put their stuff in trust, and that's why when congressman only made forty grand a year, or whatever, and he had to have two houses, it was really a horse bleep job compared to being a regular attorney, because ten years later the regular attorneys all have country club memberships and nice houses, and the congressman really right. don't. And uh, and it and it strikes me to first, I'm sure it happened before this, but I remember when uh, Bush's clan was in there and Cheney and those guys. Uh, well, Cheney was a big shot at Kellogg, Brown, and Root, and and none of that was in was in trust that I that I could ever determine. I mean, he was trading that crap basically, with all through all the asbestos stuff and everything. And and it, it strikes me that there really was no quote law. There just was, you know, some sort of a precedent that he just said, "Show me the law." Screw the precedent, and it's going on from then. I mean, Trump was uh, to me very educational by saying, show me I can't do this. I mean, I, I don't like the man personally at all, but he was illuminating in the sense that this stuff is, in a lot of ways, is just convention. And if you, and if you take the, the an honorable guy like Dan Inouye out of the mix, the next guy goes, show me I can't do this. Prove it. I mean, there's people now that are trading their ass off, basically. I mean, there's this lady that just went independent in uh, Arizona, was absolutely shame, barefaced out there going, I'm not signing this bill unless the carried interest is back in. And oh, by the way, I got a million and a half dollars from Wall Street. They, they're shameless, Carl. I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know that there's enough laws and enough enforcement to 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 stop morality in good sense. I, I don't think there is, and, and and we're going kind of down that road. And I, I don't know what to do about it, to be honest with you. And I think neither do you. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the the, the basic problem you have is that the executive. Within the executive, and, I, and and this is part of you know what we're finding out with this with this Twitter nonsense too. You know, you have Baker, who was essentially forced out of the FBI because he invented the entire Russia Gate hoax, the P tape, and all that nonsense. Okay, it was all garbage. None of it was real. It was an opposition research job that was done by the Democrat Party, which is fine. I mean, Demo- you know, politics is a dirty game. Okay, and and people do this kind of thing all the time. When you weaponize it and put it into the the federal government's law enforcement side of things, you've broken the law, and you've done something that is is reprehensible at a level that that gets very very dangerously close to treason. 
the real treason. But, Carl, when you say, right. I mean, I'm, 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 by the way, I'm with you 100% here, which you're not supposed to be in radio. I'm with you 100%, but when you say broken the law, it's a law that only you know about. A few people, if they read it, would care about it, and there's there's no such thing as the cop on the beat saying, I'm arresting you for that. Well, that's right. And, and Well, and the problem is that not only that, but the people who are doing the breaking of the law are the people that would have to do the arresting. Yeah, well, that's, that's a problem. Which yeah, I mean, that's kind of that you know, that's kind of like the, the in, in the night in the late 1980s. I went and did some work in New York City, and I'm walking down the street, the Times Square, with with a beer in a bag, in a paper bag, and a straw. And the reason is because the guy that sold it to me said, as long as it's in a it, it's, it's in a paper bag, the cop cannot see it, and it's got a straw, you won't get arrested for an open container on the street. Oh, he's probably right. Okay. All right, so I, I can drink a beer in public. Okay, that's kind of nice. So, you know, the, the nice guy in the, in the you know, little podunk store tells me this. Fine. Except, as I'm walking down the street, here's a guy, buy some Coke, buy some smoke, buy some Coke, buy some smoke, and five feet away from him is a uniformed New York City police officer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was probably, if, if I had said yes, he was probably getting $5 of whatever... The thing is, is that that's the basic problem, but the executive department has the ability to do these kinds of things, and, and they have a way to do it in such a fashion that nobody has standing to bring a lawsuit. So then, then what Twitter has, with all this Twitter stuff has disclosed, Baker goes over there, and those people who think that Musk is some kind of a savior, Musk knew who Baker was. Musk knew that he was in the center of, of this whole Russiagate nonsense. He buys the company, and this is the associate general counsel, so he's one of maybe the top five people in the firm, and he's not fired the same day. And yet, I, and for how long did he have free run through the system, deleting whatever it is that he wanted to delete because he has, he has that sort of, did he have that sort of access? Is the data actually gone? Are we ever going to see any proof of any of this, of what, of what is going on in the election interference and everything? Of course not. And yet there's no standing. And that's the, the challenge, is that when the executive branch of the government does this, they do it in such a way that people don't have standing to bring suits and get injunctions. And that's why this kind of thing goes on. And I don't know how to fix it, but that we need to fix it because it's destroying the country. I, I think it is, too. I, I don't. And, but the thing of it is, is there's always been a, a feel... I think that, uh, and you know what, let's put it this way, we're, we're not immune. If you and I ran for, for, for co-mayors of the city, uh, we'd, we'd have have to have enough of an ego to say, well, guess what, we're, we're really a lot better for everybody than the other the other people running against us. I mean, you, you, have, oh, to have, you have to have that kind of an ego. And, and maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong, or maybe anybody, you know, but now you have the situation where, you know, a guy sitting in the wife beater and in, in the double-wide thing with the beer is convinced he can play quarterback for the NFL. Well, no, you can't. <laughs> no, no, you can't. I mean, right. yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I. So there's there's something to be said for that. But then when there's then when there's money involved, then you break the rule a little bit and you do something else, or you you don't campaign in this area because you don't really like those people. Once you start shaving a little bit, it's, it reminds me of the. I mean, I was not a big. I guess if I'd have watched them all, I would have been a big fan. But I didn't. I don't think I had HBO or whatever it was, but. What was uh, Boardwalk Empire? Uh, was that on whatever it was on some kind of pay per view or whatever? I didn't have. Well, I watched one of them over at Audrey's, and uh, and, the, and the the first thing they they robbed some 
truck with all their booze, right? So Nucky gets his share. Well, the next day, somebody knocks over another one, and the guy walks in with Nucky's share, and he goes, why are you giving me any money? I didn't have any money. He goes, Nucky, you can't be half a gangster. <laughs> either either are or you aren't. <laughs> and I tell you what, it's one of the most amazing oh, lines I've ever. You know, I mean, and then we find out this morning, actually late last night, it showed up that there's that there's another guy who was involved in this stuff that ended up over Twitter too. Now, can you explain something to me after after Baker gets caught in this stuff? This other guy is pretty shadowy, and I'm still digging into exactly what this was about. But he was apparently involved with both the FBI and the CIA, and isn't that a nice uh, con- confluence of uh, conflict of interest? Tell me how it is that Baker, after after he gets drummed out of the bureau for this, and he did, how does he end up as associate general counsel of a publicly traded company? Uh, you, you wonder. Well, who's, I mean, uh, well, tell, well, tell me why. That, tell me how it is that the supposedly free market capitalism world, you know, world leader, the United States, allows that kind of thing to happen. Well, Carl, I, I, it's not to me. We have to dash here because we'll we talk about this next week. But uh, it, it's not. It's not that people do slimy stuff. I mean, you and I have known. You know, we read a lot. We know people have done slimy stuff from day one. Right. It's it's how bold they are about it. I mean. Who was the, the general? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This was in your face. I mean, who was the, the general, the uh, one of Trump's guys? Was it Flynn or whatever? He, he was... Yeah. You're not supposed to do stuff... I mean, there is a law, yes, or, or, or a convention. You're not supposed to do consulting for foreign people when you're on a pension of a, being a general. The guy's over giving a well, speech. Say, okay, how about Oliver North? Hello. Well, I'm saying, but the dude, he's, o- he's over... Giving a speech at a Russian dinner and sitting at the same table with Putin—I mean, at least do it beside behind the scenes. I mean, don't don't well, stick. Yeah, it. I mean, they're, they're, like I said, these guys are in your face with it. Yeah, it's, that's that's the part that really. So if I'm seeing that, that really makes me wonder what really is going on. If they, if, if if they are that bold with it, it means that there's no there's no filter anywhere. It doesn't appear. And, uh, no, there really isn't. And, and the, but the thing is, is that they structure these things in such a way that the ordinary schlub, the ordinary person, nobody has standing to go into court and and say, I want an injunction to, to force these people to stop this crap because they craft the policies and the actions in such a way that the, that the damage is diffuse and it lands on a taxpayer and there is... And there is precedent that says that the taxpayer can't sue over this. Can you imagine if the two of us dropped a lawsuit and saw that on TV and dropped a lawsuit on Flynn in the Army or some crap, how persona non grata we would be, if, if not harmed? Well, we would be thrown out. That's the, They yeah. do this on purpose because there's no standing. But even so, the fact that we bothered them, we're going to be watched for the rest of our life. Oh, the fa- oh, no, the fact that, yeah, you'd be raided at 3 o'clock in the morning, they tear your house apart. And that's a happy note. <laughs> SP Futures down 11, SP Futures down 35. Do you have a, 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 any, any dog in the hunt today, any soccer games? No, 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 nothing. But you know, I, I, soccer just ain't my. I mean, that's the real football, but it just ain't my game. I mean, I mean, I, I, I wish I knew more about it. I can see how great athletes these guys are, and it's kind of fun to watch at that level. But uh, of course, I got the Blackhawks aren't worth watching, so it's nor the Bears. So <laughs> it's like we got nothing here. We'll be back on Monday, Stacks and Jacks. I'm a businessman. Blood is a big expense. 
Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.